0: In civil affairs, your success depends on getting the right information to the right people at the right time. Whether it's foundational information for a team about to head out on a mission or putting together a map or other data visualization to brief a general or an ambassador, Tesla government solutions and staff can help. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you're adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com.
1: So this allows you to build on those face-to-face interactions as we've discussed and have that persistent engagement, one that where you can continue to build that confidence, continue to build that safe and secure dialogue um, with those those key influencers and those key actors uh, within a, a populations network. Hi, and welcome to the
2: 1CA Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode, and we're gathered by two guests from IST Research, Dr. Carrick Longley and Steve Honeywell. Carrick serves as the Senior Vice President leads the technical and innovation efforts at IST Research. Prior to his time at IST, Carrick had a 12-year career in the US Marine Corps, where he blended operational experience, technology, program management, and formal education to develop deep expertise in information operations. In his final assignment as the Branch Chief of Training and Exercises at Marine Corps Information Operations Center, he was responsible for developing IO trade and education materials. While at the Naval Postgraduate School, he created and fostered the development of Lighthouse, an original concept that enables ground-based operators using the latest in commercial off-the-shelf technology to effectively and efficiently capture a wide range of data from sociocultural dynamics to civil affairs assessments. Steve hunter serves as the Senior Director where he focuses on the technical and innovation efforts supporting IST's population engagement competency. Prior to his private sector career, Steve served as a U.S. Army officer with infantry and civil affairs assignments, followed by time as a civilian member of the AFPAC hands program. He brings over 15 years of international engagement and special operations expertise that draw from experience in Afghanistan, Iraq, the Levant, Asia, North Africa, and Europe. Before joining IST research, Steve served in multiple leadership and technical roles, providing innovative informant influence solutions to the U.S. Department of State's Global Engagement Center, the GEC, the U.S. European Command, NATO, and the Joint Special Operations Command. Steve received his Master of Business Administration, his MBA degree from Babson College F.W. Owen Graduate School of Business and is completing a Master's Arts degree in Global Affairs at Tufts University Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy. Dr. Carrick Longley and Steve DeWall, thank you very much for being on the 1CA Podcast.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
2: It's a pleasure to talk to you guys and uh, I, I want to start this by saying that the Civil Affairs Association that sponsors, that underwrites basically the 1CA Podcast, is growing its connections to private industry and wants the CA operators to know more about what's happening in industry, what kind of tools are out there that are available. And we'd eventually like to grow to the point where more operators are also telling you what their issues are in the field so that you can come up with even better solutions for the CA community, uh, both for the Army and the Marine Corps. So you guys have that background Kara coming from the Marine Corps and Steve coming from the Army, you guys get civil affairs. You've been there. You've you've worked in those units and worked alongside them. And uh, I think that's a huge value added to IST research. And I wanted to start this conversation by framing for listeners what IST research is all about. So uh, for either of you, if you could please tell listeners more about IST and what services do you provide and, and where are they? I
3: think I can start and uh, Steve could probably add where where I left off. Uh, So IST research is, uh, we are a small, uh, better known small business uh, based out of Fredericksburg, Virginia. Uh, Right now we actually have about 80 employees. We've we've almost doubled in size in the past year. Um, And we primarily are a software development and services company. Um, The majority of our work is in the federal space, although we do support uh, Department of State uh, and some uh, non, uh, non-governmental organizations uh, for some for some research on human trafficking outside of our federal work. But uh, we're probably best known as the company that develops the Pulse platform. Uh, so Pulse is a uh, social listening and population engagement system uh, that we've been developing for about five years now. Uh, and it's got its roots in a couple of different SBIRs and uh, DARPA programs. And, and, and out of that has come Uh, The system that is now probably uh, quite widely used uh, across uh, SOCOM and across other organizations uh, for doing large-scale social listening and population engagement.
2: So for people who are not as familiar with social listening, is that talking about sucking up social media and open source information to find out uh, sentiment of a population for and against certain themes? Yeah, that's
3: exactly it. So our social listening uh, platform does large scale publicly available information gathering uh, from the open deep and dark web from a multitude of social media platforms uh, and and has global reach. It is predominantly used to get a better understanding of what populations are concerned with trending topics, uh, sentiments, and, and, you know, through a variety of other (coughs) indicators uh, from what is posted online. Uh, that social listening data uh, is good uh, on its own, but we think where it becomes much more powerful is when you actually couple that with population engagement. Um, in other words, you know, it's it's one thing to see what uh, the Afghan online information environment looks like. Uh, it's a wholly different thing to take that inform your engagement and actually go out and talk to Afghans. Um, So social listening at the most simple is, is just that it is large scale PAI monitoring and collection to get a better understanding about a given topic in a
2: geography or, or in some other locale. How trusted are certain sources of data that you have coming in that they accurately reflect, you know, the sample size that you can extrapolate generally say, yeah, this is a representative of the population. Yeah, so there's uh, there's a couple of ways to
3: to sort of unpack that question. Um, I mean, I think first uh, first and foremost, I think there's a there's a fantastic tool that uh, or a report that's put out every year by a company called We Are Social. They collaborate with Hootsuite. Um, but for every country in the world, they publish a report that they update annually. That really goes into mobile phone penetration, smartphone usage, uh, social media usage by country by locale. And the sort of key thing that uh, that keeps coming up over and over again is despite how rural some locations may be, the connectivity is improving uh, every day every month every every year. And we've actually used, we, we use that in many cases to to help us inform our approach to to doing polling to doing survey work to doing engagement and and as you as you mentioned you know there there are always caveats to uh instrumentation that you use there are always uh different sampling frames that you need to take uh, into consideration and things that can be generalized other things that cannot be generalized uh you know everything from probability to non-probability based sampling uh, selection bias you know so on and so forth Um, however i will say that uh, over the last four years i I ran uh, most of our information campaigns overseas and uh, despite um, being in active conflict zones despite being in areas with severe disruptions to the internet, despite uh, the outbreak of disease uh, you, there is always a way to reach a population, uh, whether that's using, uh, you know, traditional radios, flyers, um, uh, basic SMS in Central Africa uh, to really robust interactive online surveys that uh, you recruit, deliver uh, and provide uh, remuneration for individuals who take surveys completely online with, without any physical footprint anywhere. So we, we span the gamut of, of all of those, uh, and the tech that we build helps us unlock getting access to people in very hard-reach places um, around the
2: world. That's really cool to hear, and you guys are at the forefront of working on this stuff. But for example, your team is working on some innovative ways to conduct uh, more traditional, I guess, civil reconnaissance, but uh, digital civil recon and population engagement you're talking about. And a lot of listeners from the CA community are familiar with the traditional conduct of civil recon on the ground, talking to people, conducting uh, face-to-face key leader engagements or leader engagements. So what is digital civil recon?
1: So digital civil reconnaissance, as you alluded to, John, uh, much of the audience is uh, is very much familiar with JP uh, 3-57 that defines civil reconnaissance as a targeted planned and coordinated observation and evaluation of specific civil aspects of the environment. While digital civil reconnaissance is a method of capitalizing on either the existing um, open source information or publicly available information without a physical presence in that area and or utilizing the capabilities that we've run through to act as that social stimulant um, to remotely engage uh, those populations. As Carrick was mentioning um, in walking us through, one of our competencies is engaging populations via the mediums uh, that they choose to consume information. So that digital civil reconnaissance allows us to conduct that uh, observation and evaluation of those specific civil aspects while remaining offset via the platforms and mediums that those audiences are c- currently consuming, not having them go to, uh, to another mean or method um, to provide that information. So you've been there as a CA guy
2: from the CA operator's perspective to figure out which platforms the local population is using, and then to you know shift the way that they're conducting Civil Recon, they're gonna plan their next digital Civil Recon mission. Does that take an initial week or two to just gather information from the ground? Or can you do that remotely as well to figure out, well, what platforms are they using before they come up with a plan for a more rigorous, I guess, digital Civil Recon?
1: So the great thing about this is that it can be done prior to uh, a physical civil reconnaissance, it can uh, be conducted along with, after, or in place of that traditional civil reconnaissance and in informing the, the civil reconnaissance and, and shaping it. Um, and also, again, acting as that social stimulant where you can uh, engage prior to the movement itself to, to shape the dialogue and the discussion but also to inform your own discussion going out there. So for example, um, you know, if you're a team leader and you're going out and we'll draw from um, say an, an Afghan example within that context, you can engage with that village prior to even going out there and understand what their needs are. Um, this would then better shape your questions during the, the civil reconnaissance itself and then you could follow up that engagement and keep it persistent in terms of you know following up with either the uh, the elders uh, the government officials really those those key actors and influencers that you had previously targeted so not only are you conducting that face-to-face but you're augmenting it and amplifying it with the ability to maintain a persistent conversation that you can then build upon.
2: You no, know, my friends and I text each other, we use WhatsApp for the family, people on Facebook. So there's a lot of ways that friends and family stay connected online, but there's a huge value to seeing someone at a holiday or at a Christmas party or a birthday party or your kids whatever is going on. Do you see the greatest value in putting the two together or yeah, how do you stack them in terms of digital recon and like a percentage of your time and effort in civil affairs as an operator how much digital recon should you be doing compared to the in-person stuff and how do you sort of weight the values of remote or digital civil recon compared to you know pressing the flesh and and finding out who's who in the zoo by seeing them and taking photos
3: So I think there's a there's the the question really is one of scale Um, there's you know there's in no way do I think remote engagement remote reconnaissance digital reconnaissance will completely obviate the need to do in person work that will always be a requirement, however. um, There, there, we have there's ample evidence and we've got a lot of experience doing large scale digital reconnaissance. Um, where you simply cannot achieve that scale with people. And so, you know, if I had to look at this at a, if I had to give you some made up percentage, I would say probably it'd be something like 80-20. Uh, you know, 80% of your time, I'll stick with the Pareto principle here, 80% of your time is going to be spent, or should be spent, I think, doing re- digital reconnaissance and 20% doing the the in-person, and, and it's probably even less. Because, you know, in general, we've seen that, uh, if you look at, you know, broad information requirements, In general, many of them can be answered without physically stepping foot uh, somewhere, or you can take advantage of the fact that there are people that are already located in some area. You just need to find them, recruit them, and incentivize them to gather the information you're looking for. And so, as as an example of where we've done some of this uh, this hybrid, um, we've had uh, you know in in Central Africa there were um, we had pretty good radio coverage uh, to be able to reach out and touch a large audience. We ran infomercials. People then texted in. Uh, into our system, we were able to, to continue on the, uh, this conversation. But in some villages, it actually did require a physical presence. They did not have any form of connectivity whatsoever. Uh, we knew that there was, uh, you know, there was some some activity of interest that we really needed to get a better understanding for what that uh, what that basically what the situation on the ground looked like. And that's where we then leveraged in-person reconnaissance, you know, physical reconnaissance to go and, and take a look at what was happening in these villages. Um, but that was a very small percentage of the overall effort, the majority that was doing digital reconnaissance. You know, you mentioned uh, you know, we've got all these different channels to communicate with uh, with people and, and we're very sensitive to the fact that, you know, one size doesn't fit all. Uh, SMS uh, is still the universal uh, uh, mechanism to communicate. It's sort of the lowest common denominator. But depending on where you are geographically, WhatsApp is the dominant platform of choice or it's the only real platform of choice. Facebook Messenger, Viber, Line, you know, so on and so forth. And so we we designed and built our, our platform around that, that that concept of it does not matter which channel you prefer, we can reach you on any of those channels. And I think the the other piece that that really starts to bring in is that we've over the last six months we've really taken a concerted effort in leveraging digital advertising platforms and uh, and all the value that that can provide to digital constants to give you an understanding of not only um, what applications people are using, how people are communicating, but where they physically locate it, being able to do pattern of life activity, things that things that uh, otherwise would not have normally been available uh, are now available to us. So it really can augment uh, what you're trying to do. But at the end of the day, I think it's a question of scale. You simply cannot scale civil reconnaissance with enough manpower. It's, there's, you cannot be everywhere all the times. Uh, and so I think that's where digital reconnaissance really comes in to help augment the in-person
2: face-to-face work that still needs to be done. That's a great point, and CA teams are small too.
1: We don't have a lot of people. And and it's exactly to that point, as uh, Carrick was saying, it's about identifying the range of relevant actors and their associated networks. So when you have one SimC out there doing that, uh, they can then streamline their operations to make them that much more efficient and really just see <clears throat> tremendous rewards from those limited engagements that they can do particularly now as we're seeing the increased offset um, driven by COVID-19 restrictions in various locales. Yeah
2: quite a timing to to have uh, tested out to a larger scale all these different remote tools. So to that point uh, let we talk about this final question for the first half of our discussion then we'll take a break. So in an article that was published on Medium, your CEO, Ryan Patterson, described the challenge of conducting monitoring and evaluation during a pandemic or whenever these traditional on-site methods can not happen. So he does go on to describe, uh, share some solutions. He wrote, quote, technologies have existed for decades that provide M&E services that are remote, scalable, cost-efficient, sensitive to the realities of vulnerable populations and more accurate than standard methods, end quote. Gentlemen, what are some of these solutions that Ryan was talking about?
3: Yeah, I can, I can address some of those. So, so Ryan and I have collaborated uh, a lot uh, specifically on remote monitoring and engagement, and this has come out of some work that we, we've done for World Bank, uh, both as a prime and, and as a sub for, for a couple of others, but the, um, so COVID is just the most recent context, but let me take a step back and talk about remote monitoring and evaluation. So the, the traditional method of doing development work monitoring and evaluation includes normally uh, getting a bunch of expatriates, putting them in country somewhere, surrounding them with a very heavy security detachment in detail, going out and physically conducting a site survey. And this is a lot of this is infrastructure. So it's buildings, bridges, wells, canals, schools, you name it, and going out and conduct a very basic site survey, uh, taking for, you know, take pictures of all the buildings, check out the material that's being used, making sure it's not in a floodplain, uh, ensuring that the uh, material is up to standard, so and so forth, and, and then they usually have a structural engineer. In the case of a, you know, building a bridge or something, taking a look at it, and say yes, it meets spec It doesn't meet spec. That whole process, by the time you add in all of the expatriates, by the time you add in all the subject matter experts, by the time you add in your security detail, ends up costing somewhere on the order of three to five thousand dollars per site visit. So for that one single report, if you average it out and say this is what it looks like, that's how much it costs. At the same time, we've, we have said, what would it look like rather than doing all of that work where we fly a bunch of people out of the US, put them in some compound run security convoys, et cetera, with them? What if instead we actually take advantage of, of uh, advertising tools? And we try to recruit somebody who lives near that, near that site. Now they don't need to be a structural engineer, but all they need to be is somebody that has access to a smartphone and that can read and write. And by the nature of the fact that we're running as an example, a targeted ad in some village and that targeted ad is being run on us and through in-app banner ads on smartphones. I know right off the bat that one, they can read two, they have a smartphone. So it's already met two of the requirements that I need for somebody to actually go into work. And then the next piece is, well, now that they've seen my ad, they clicked on it and said, "Look, I'm going to pay you money Uh, by the way, all of which can be done completely remotely. We can transfer money uh, in any sort of form. Uh, through a variety of mechanisms. And now I have somebody who lives near that hypothetical bridge. And I say, I want you to go out and take pictures. Take pictures, walk along this path, fill out a few pieces of information and hit send. And we've actually done this uh, specifically in Afghanistan in three different locations, that one was heavily urbanized, one was very remote, one was sort of in between. And we went through a series of, of recruitment steps where from advertisement to initial onboarding to some initial tasking and validation of those tasks to the actual uh, okay go do a site survey and that whole process when it comes down to um uh, sort of the the total cost total cost of the bill pair was orders of magnitude lower it was like two hundred dollars as opposed to several thousand dollars and it's because you can do things at scale i can recruit at scale i can visit the periodicity with which i can hit a site is much much faster because i don't have this massive security entourage. I don't have this massive uh, expat footprint. And if I still needed to get that report to a structural engineer, that report is digital. It gets sent over to a structural engineer who's sitting in the NCR somewhere, as an example, reviews the information, maybe has some follow-up questions, follow-up questions go back out. So this is the equivalent of TaskRabbit, but it's TaskRabbit for overseas uh, with a very local context and does not require somebody to download a specific app to do that work. Now there are others that do, you know, very similar. They're, they're some of our competitors in this space have their own app. They do sort of microtasking and recruitment. And for digital reconnaissance, that that method works really well. We don't subscribe to the idea of having to build a specific app because if you're an Afghan, you're probably on Viber uh, or you're on Telegram. Um, you may be on Facebook Messenger. Likely it's probably low, but but Viber without a doubt. Uh, if you're in Ecuador, I know you're on WhatsApp because the entire country is on WhatsApp. They almost nobody even has SMS platforms. So we go this sort of uh, you know, choose your own adventure for how you communicate with an audience. But that's what that's what Ryan was talking about. You know, he and I had really uh, talked about how that industry is ripe for disruption. Uh, we're monitoring and engagement, and, and and even more so now where. The, uh, the traditional method of, of that very expensive security apparatus and expat and all that—that that continues to be the standard because everyone's very comfortable with it. Um, and we've not been—we have not been full disclosure perfectly. Uh, you know, we've not been uh, as disruptive as we would like to see in this area because there's a lot of resistance to change. And I, I suspect that um, even through some of the, the the listeners of this audience might be very highly uh, skeptical of, of digital reconnaissance uh, using the methods I'm talking about. But uh, when it's all said and done, uh, you know, there are, there's a lot of value, uh, not just in cost savings, but in speed to action, increased periodicity, quality of the reporting, et cetera, that, that can be addressed or controlled for, you know, when the questions inevitably come about, well, how do I trust this piece of information? Because it's so inexpensive, I can task three or four people to collect the exact same information without them knowing that they're all collecting the same information and I can do triangulation. Uh, So there's all kinds of little techniques and, and tricks we've come up with to address some of the questions. But the, the point being is that the, the ability to do this quickly at scale uh, and, and doing these remote M&E, uh, it, all of the pieces have been in place for extra number, number of years. COVID is just the latest example of, not only um, how does it does it complicate the traditional method, but it, it really makes the traditional approach uh, untenable and unfeasible. Uh, you, you're simply not gonna find people who are, who are willing and interested to go do face-to-face digital, the face-to-face reconnaissance with a global pandemic in place. So the barriers to entry for us to test out and try digital reconnaissance, I think, have been greatly lowered uh, as a result of COVID.
1: And then a secondary benefit from this, as uh, Carrick pointed out, the, the extreme cost here, you're looking at an unnatural capital infusion into already fragile markets. And um, as we've all experienced working in some of these uh, conflict zones and these uh, emerging markets and fragile states, any introduction like that of additional capital uh, in addition to people just furthers uh, the illicit economy and, and furthers the uh, and draws out the uh, underlying um, issues driving the conflict.
2: Yeah, and that as you gentlemen bring up some great points, and uh, I know USAID, which funds a lot of monitoring, and evaluation for development for the U.S. government, is trying to build local partnerships. It, it talked for many, many years about trying to put themselves out of business, but they're very strong interest in the development world, and it'll be interesting to see how some innovative techniques like this will hopefully drive more local partners to be able to execute partnering with a U.S.-based organization, I guess a prime that would be required to get the U.S. funding. Folks, you've been listening to an episode of the 1CA podcast. We'll take a short break, and we we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Carrick Longley and Stephen Hunnewell, talking about civil engagement. I'll also talk about um, some ideas uh, of what they're hearing from people on the ground, CA and COs and officers, about their needs, and then uh, dig into more information about IST. We'll be right back.
0: Everywhere you look, there's a barrage of emails and information telling you what everybody has done, is doing, or plans to do, all in excruciating detail. But access is only half the battle. You also need information presented in a usable form. But that takes work, and the more information you have, the more work it takes. Tesla government takes on these issues so that your office or agency can fully exploit the data you already have. Our knowledge management experts organize and curate your internal data. Our open source research augments your knowledge base with strategic insights from our globally experienced team, and our data visualization turns complex data into compelling visuals while our community building makes sure everyone benefits by leveraging (laughs) collective knowledge. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com.
2: Hi, and welcome back to the One CA podcast. I'm your host, John McGilligan. And we're speaking today with Dr. Carrick Longley and Stephen Honeywell from IST Research. Gentlemen, let's talk about the connection to CA forces. Um, Carrick, you you worked in uh, Marine Corps Information Operations and, and Steve, you were CA Infantry. What are you hearing from the civil affairs NCOs and officers about their needs on the ground? To conduct innovative civil recon, to conduct digital civil recon, and population engagement.
1: So, uh, with respect to what we're currently hearing from uh, the CA community right now, I mean, obviously the the first one is COVID nineteen and the the need to conduct uh, these offset engagements. So, if you're SIMC operating in a in a certain country, it, it could be rather restrictive. Just based off of where you are in terms of your ability to move, but you still have a mission. Um, so this capability allows you to not only uh, continue to conduct that civil reconnaissance, that population engagement, but then bring it up another level, you know, as Carrick has, uh, has laid out in terms of scale. The need to gather data uh, in specific regions over a short period of time, here we have it. Um, where we're in an environment in that we're trying to move at the speed of information. And I mean, that is instantaneous. Again, trying to gather that data across regions that you cannot physically access, either due to uh, COVID 19 or conflict or just uh, an inability to be in two places at, at once. And then having that data and informing commanders, helping them to analyze, uh, to then drive their decision-making regarding civil military operations in an area, and then following either a civil military operation or a uh, military information support operation or you know, public diplomacy, uh, measuring the effectiveness of those act- activities conducted uh, you know How are people perceiving, processing the activity and or the information uh, that was provided? Uh, and then as we enter this new continuum of conflict, the need to quickly identify and address vulnerabilities that weaken a specific population. And then how are our adversaries exploiting uh, those vulnerabilities? Where can we, can we counteract those? All of uh, the outlines um, that's what we're hearing from the community at this time, and then um, how do we help them enhance those, um, but then how do we help them identify future challenges um, that are that are being presented as we uh, as we move as a force to this new continuum this new gray zone, if you will
2: thanks Steve and I'm wondering if um the forces who are sharing information with you, are they more concerned with uh, digital civil recon, for example, and innovative ways to conduct uh, population engagement? Are they coming from UCOM, into pacom like more concerned with countries around Russia and China, or, or are they coming from AFRICOM, where they may have more remote populations in some countries, hard to reach, and they and that's what's driving the need or their desire to have innovative tools for a digital sober recon, for example?
1: So with respect to geography, it's geographically agnostic. Uh, this is understanding uh, that our peers in this, they are not tied and not bound by geographic combatant commands. These elements operate from Africa to, to Latin America to Europe and Asia. With respect to who is asking what, uh, that is truly determined by the physician. Focusing on our social listening capability in our content content discovery competency, we are hearing um, much of the or receiving much of those inputs from the human human network analysis cell um, and the OIC of that cell or the NCOs who constitute that cell. With respect to actually engaging, conducting population engagement, um, those are truly coming from the team leaders, um, the the XOs, the S3s. So the team leaders in terms of the SIMCs or um, just a, a CAT team itself, um, as well as the S3s. And, and that truly goes into how can I use this to assess the efficacy of a, of a program or an action? How can I use it to help drive my decision making regarding x effort? And hey, Carrick, you're an IO
2: guy from the Marine Corps. On the Army side, where I am, we have a reserve command that combines CA, PSYOP and IO under use of KPOC. What's IST research hearing from the reserve side? And are these tools that would apply to CA PSYOP and IO?
3: Yeah, they are. So the um, so the Marine Corps said, uh, you know, full disclosure, and I say this with a with a heavy heart, we, we don't necessarily have our craft together uh in, in this space as, as much as we would like to. There there has been a concerted effort over the last several years to to develop these meth information groups. And within that information group, you actually have Civil affairs, military information support operators, uh, you know, uh, military deception planners, so on and so forth. So all of the different what we would traditionally call IRCS or what used to be called IRCS. I don't know what the flavor of today is, uh, but all of them, <laughs> all the capabilities uh, uh, together under one roof. There has been, uh, and we have actually seen and supported um, uh, the on both the technology and services side to sort of a wide range of of, of individuals using it. So. Our product, uh, from both the social listening and the engagement, has supported digital reconnaissance for civil affairs teams. It has supported uh, target audience assessment and analysis for the, for the SIOP Marines, and it supported other, other activities for further, other related capabilities. On the reserve side, it's not as well structured um, on the because the Marine Reserves is, is just much smaller uh, you know, relative to, to the Army Reserves and, and, and the Guard. There are most of the um, most of the IO uh, and CA. There are reserve CA units, uh, and, and they certainly have expressed interest in in, in the platform and the tools. Uh, but I think most of the most of the active use of our systems and and these concepts are coming out of these information groups.
2: Okay, great. Thanks, Gary. Gentlemen, two other questions I wanted to cover before we close this conversation today, and. The first is talking about how CA forces have been selected in part for their abilities to interact with local populations. They help to gain trust. They influence people to meet the commander's end state. So how would using more technology change the way that CA forces interact with indigenous populations and institutions?
1: Quite simply is that it just provides another medium by which they're able to engage and further that conversation to to make it enduring. One that is not location or time bound. Previously, interactions were limited to when you had the physical means to engage or uh, get your movement approved. So this allows you to build on those face-to-face interactions as we've discussed and have that persistent engagement. One that where you can continue to build that confidence, continue to build that, Safe and secure dialogue um, with those those key influencers and those key actors uh, within a uh, a populations network. Steve, yeah, so I was going to add that
3: you said it a lot more eloquently than than I did, Steve. I was going to say, you know, that we, we we built a really really nice hammer. Uh, that does not mean that uh, you can go out and build a house if you're not a carpenter. So the the basic skills still need to be in place. Um, uh, I own a hammer, I can't build anything with it. So uh, I think that's, you know, so the point is simply that the, the, you know, the platform allows you to expand your reach, it allows you to engage with audiences. But if you don't know how to engage with an individual to begin with, this isn't gonna make you all of a sudden really good at engaging with with populations. You still have to consider local context, the language divide, the socioeconomic status and how that influences someone's behaviors. You still have to take into consideration that whole package. Um, this is just a much better way to scale that conversation uh, than what you had before. But it doesn't mean you're you're a great orator uh, just because you can now reach lots and lots of people.
2: Yeah, good point, gentlemen. Do you think it takes a, a culture shift? I've had bosses who feel like they don't trust that I'm doing the work unless they can see me in the office. Are are we in a generation or getting there where the supervisor, your raider, senior raider? will trust that you're doing equally good work online and through digital re- civil recon?
1: I, I would say that uh, current events have forced us to appreciate the, the reality is that yes, that is true. You know, not being physically present, you can still garner the same rewards as being physically present and in some cases more so. And having those face-to-face conversations, and you know, this is all uh, drawn from from training and experience. You understand that your mere presence um, and who you are will shape those those outcomes. Will shape those answers in a way that having this digital communication uh, may not, and may actually elicit some truthful responses or, or ones that are are not shaped by the inherent dynamics that uh, a face-to-face interaction would have but uh, to the original point yes i would say that um, you know we are seeing an acceptance here of uh, not having that face-to-face so gentlemen uh one final question for you today
2: you guys are a player in this digital revolution of data collection tools and sifting through big 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 data massive data to to drive better development, to drive better engagement between military forces and other government agencies and local populations around the world. What are your recommendations for ways that civil affairs troops should prepare for tomorrow? Uh, For example, are there self-guided or unit-led training that will prepare them to understand and use the tools you're building um, to, to understand how to use this hammer? And what books and articles can they read to understand the terminology and methods?
3: So I think more and more, uh, you're seeing, uh, digital natives, uh, especially coming up through the ranks, you know, people that have, there's the internet has always existed in their, in their lifetime. It, it has never not existed. Um, I, I think more of the, the sea changes in the senior leader, uh, leadership ranks, to be totally honest, where the internet didn't exist when I was, uh, when I was first, you know first, uh, first a young kid. And, and it was a thing that I, I still remember America online and CompuServe and, and, and the dial up modem sounds, um, from, a uh, from a 2,400 bod modem, but the digital natives now. I think it's it's taking this the idea that the internet is uh, is is everywhere, and um, you know if you're comfortable operating in the digital environment in the U.S., there's no reason why you can't extend that same concept uh, and apply it for your for your craft. Um, and And and, as I mentioned earlier on, I think in our podcast, more and more, even in war-torn areas, even in impoverished countries, the uh, internet penetration rates, mobile phone consumption and usage rates, they're they're ever increasing. So more and more of the world's population is becoming more and more connected. So if you are comfortable, if you're either a digital native or you're not not a native, but are are certainly comfortable operating in that environment, the more you can take the ideas of being able to reach out and communicate, the more you interact with those online, uh, the more you understand the different communications channels that are available to you, the different techniques and methods of being able to reach out and touch someone. I think that makes you, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, bringing those, that those ideas along will, will
1: make you more successful in the end. Steve? So just recommendations, I mean, self-guided unit-led training i i don't have any there because it, i believe you know ca it's something that sets us apart from the other south tribes and that we're more beholden to education um just by the nature of what we do and how we do it so my recommendation would it actually be uh, a book the kill chain and it helps to shape um, by sorry by christian uh, bros um, and it just helps to frame and, and shape uh, the current environment that we are in and how you can best position uh, CA and its competencies uh, to support that. Uh, and then just a, an article that really gets down into more of the operational and tactical, how things are changing and can be used to, to possibly guide how operators would, would shape some of this uh, engagement, whether it's digital, civil reconnaissance or social listening, as uh, entitled "Belarus has torn up the Protest rulebook. Everyone should listen. It's Wired UK uh, by Sean Williams. And again it's just another great resource um, to really get you thinking of how you would uh, utilize these capabilities.
2: Gentlemen, this has been a great discussion again. Thank you for being on the 1CA podcast. I, I wanna thank Dr. Carrick Longley and Stephen Hunnewell from IST Research. Uh, gentlemen, you guys are welcome back anytime. Uh, in the show notes, we'll drop links to IST and uh, the book and the article that you've mentioned. So if there's anything else that uh, you have to share with the CA audience, you know, please come through the CA Association and uh, please let us know um, as you develop more products and there's stuff to push out to the CA community, We welcome you back to share that on the podcast as well thank you very much
1: thanks john appreciate it thanks
0: john with tesla government's knowledge management solutions you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work learn more at teslagov.com
4: if you enjoyed this podcast and others please remember to subscribe and hit like so, the One CA Podcast team gets important feedback and support. The Civil Affairs Association is a proud sponsor of the One CA Podcast and the Unomia you know Journal. You can find more podcasts like this on www.onecapodcast.org. Again, that's www.1capodcast.org. The Unomia Journal is expanding its content to reach a broader audience and engagement across defense and governments to include other partners in allied countries. New sections in the Warrior Scholar Corner and the Team Room aim to deliver content useful to our members. Check out the Unomia Journal at www.unomiajournal.com. Again, that's www.unomiajournal.com www.cnomiajournal.com If you are not a member yet, please visit the main CA Association website and find a new range of membership options. Starting with cadets and midshipmen, membership is only $10 a year. We then have our basic annual membership at $40 per year and two years at $60, or finally a three-year membership for only $80. Our most popular and best value option is a lifetime membership at a one-time price of $200. Be a member and don't miss out.
2: Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of One CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory.